what's your go-to coping strategy? I think we're all in need of some good, healthy coping strategies, especially when it feels like the world is falling apart around us. I can't say that my coping strategies are always the healthiest, but escapism is one of my favorites. I love to watch a good comedy and tune out everything else that's going on around me. One of my favorite shows is Designing Women, a sitcom that ran from the mid-80s to early 90s and followed the lives of four middle-aged women working in a design firm in Atlanta. I might even argue that it's one of the most underrated American sitcoms of all time. I can firm up that argument with you on another day, but one of the reasons I love it so much is that even as a comedy, the writers never shied away from tackling difficult, complex issues. They addressed sexism, racial bias, homophobia, theodicy, sexuality, and body image issues, just to name a few. Binge-watching Designing Women may be a form of escapism for me, but I also find that it catches me off guard in a way that ends up moving me and rejuvenating me. One such time was a little over a year ago. I was out on maternity leave, and I binged my way through to season four. I wasn't paying super close attention at first, uh, but in this episode, uh, Charlene is about to have her first child, and she is falling apart. She's very emotional. She's worried. When her partner asks her what she's worried about, she says, well, I'm worried about a lot of things. I'm worried about you, I'm worried about baby furniture, I'm worried about East Berlin, and I relate to that. Worry consumes me on multiple levels more often than I'd like to admit. My interest peaked at this point and I started to pay closer attention. In her worry, Charlene is finding comfort in remembering her family members. She's been going through a whole box of old family photos and watching movies that remind her of her family and her childhood growing up. In the midst of this, she falls asleep. And she is visited in her dreams by the one and only Dolly Parton, her guardian movie star. Dolly reveals to Charlene that she's having a baby girl and that this baby is gonna be happy and healthy. It's at this point that Charlene confides in Dolly that she's sad. She's sad that her family members who have died won't be around to see her daughter. Now maybe it was because I had just had my daughter. Maybe it's because I'd lost my grandmother less than a year before. But it was at this point that I began to have a pretty profound spiritual experience watching this episode. I was anxious and overwhelmed and sad, too. And as I revisited this experience in preparation for today, I realized that I'm still anxious and overwhelmed and sad at times. The reasons for these emotions have been different at different times. Today, many of us are feeling these things in the wake of the various Supreme Court rulings that have come out over the last several weeks. 
Many of us are feeling these things because our relationships are strained or at least have the potential to be. Maybe we feel frightened about what is to come. We might feel like the divides between us are only growing deeper and that we can't be our authentic selves long enough to have an honest, productive conversation. Maybe we're wrestling with something totally different. But feeling anxious, overwhelmed, and sad is something none of us are strangers to. So what do we do? What do we do with these emotions, and where do we find comfort? In our scripture passage from Hebrews, the author is writing for a group we can relate with. It's a small group of Jewish Christians who are discouraged. They're struggling with hostility, ridicule, and shame. They've been demoralized for their newfound beliefs, and they feel excluded. They're feeling pressured from the Jewish religious establishment and face the prospect of persecution. They're scared. In an effort to raise their spirits, the author of Hebrews decides to remind them of the pillars of faith that have gone before them. And not just any heroes of the Old Testament, the author makes a concerted effort to highlight people in the past that have also faced hardship mainly torture, imprisonment, and death. While I'm not sure it would be my first method of reassurance, it's an attempt to offer some perspective to these early Christians. You're facing persecution? Well, that's not new. No matter how frightening or tumultuous the circumstance, others have faced no less challenging context. This can be a helpful perspective. No one wants to be alone in their struggles, and this reminds us that we're not. But perspective isn't quite enough. If we're looking for reassurance, there needs to be something else that grounds us, and we do find that. We find it in the passage right at the beginning of chapter 11. When we are struggling, it's faith that we can rest on. Faith that is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. The reality of what we hope for. It's almost an oxymoron, because if we have hope, it means that it's something that isn't reality yet. But faith is hope, the reality of what we hope for. Faith is knowing that God promises something better. Faith helps us focus on that something better. Faith is what moved our ancestors forward. Our passage tells us, by faith, Noah responded to God when he was warned about the flood and ultimately saved his family. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out, of, out to a place without knowing where he'd end up. By faith, Moses refused to merely escape the Egyptian system of oppression and led his people out of bondage, even though they faced the wrath of Pharaoh and his armies. By faith, Rahab faced the penalty of death when she welcomed the spies in peace. By faith, countless others 
brought about justice, realized promises, shut the mouths of lions, put out raging fires, escaped violence, found strength in weakness, and won battles. Faith is what moved these people forward to do great things. But this is also a good place to highlight that there is a disclaimer. We find it in verses 36 through 39. Just because you have faith doesn't mean it's going to work out for you. I think this is really important. It's important to know that our faith, or lack thereof, is not a guarantee of a particular outcome. It is dangerous to think or say that if we just have a little more faith, everything will work out. More faith does not equal more success. Less faith does not equal less favor. We know that because there have been faithful leaders and good people who have faced public shame, imprisonment, and death. I know I brought you up to bring you back down, but hold on with me for a second. Faith grounds us and moves us forward. It is the reality of what we hope for. But faith cannot be decisively recognized by empirical observation or measurement. Your level of faith is not something to be monetized and bartered with. Faith is better than that. Faith is a lens that helps us see the good work God is doing in the mess. Faith is a lens that helps us see the promises of God more clearly. Faith is what gives us endurance, especially when we feel like everything is just too much to carry on. That's good news. And that's not even the end of it. Verse 12.1 encourages us to run the race set out before us because we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. This cloud of witnesses that surrounds us has grown through time. Remembering this cloud, remembering this communion of saints, remembering those who are connected to us through time and space, helps us frame our present circumstance. When Dolly visits Charlene in her dream, she hears Charlene is missing her family and is sad because they won't be there to see her daughter. Dolly reassures her, saying, everybody in your family that has gone on before you, everybody you've loved, you'll see them in her. And they'll be there in everything she does. When she wakes up with a fever at 3 a.m. or gets caught in the rain, they'll be there. When she catches her first baseball or forgets her prayers, they'll be there. Dolly continues and reveals to Charlene that when she meets her daughter, she'll be meeting the person who'll be holding her hand when it's her time to go. And even then, she won't be alone. They'll be there. What a beautiful reminder that we are not alone. 
the great cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints, is always around us. The people that make up our history, our history of faith, and our personal histories, these people strengthen our identity and purpose. They are part of what gives us endurance. Emily Pale shared a memory with me of a pastor's message at a memorial service she attended. He said that in our lives we're on a track, moving around and around as we go through life. Imagine circling the track while a crowd fills the stands, surrounding us, cheering and reassuring us as we go. Their arms or fists may be raised, and they voice their encouragement. Way to go! Keep it up. We're behind you. Keep going. That's the communion of saints. Our ancestors, our family, our heroes, our loved ones, the ones we never knew but that pioneered a path before us. These saints may not have actually been saintly, but their courage and faithfulness and perseverance gives us strength to run the race before us. And just when you thought that was all the good news you'd hear today, there's more. We can most certainly choose to rest, to rest in the assurance that we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses and that our faith gives us a lens to see the good work that God is doing in the mess. But if you want to take it a step further, our passage gives you a short list of actionable items. First, it's good to remember that perspective that was offered to us earlier. Sometimes things work out, and sometimes they don't. It's not a reflection of our level of faith. We are called to endurance and not martyrdom. We need to remember that we are beneficiaries of this great cloud of witnesses, and we will be a part of it one day. What we are not are the heroes that finally get the job done. There will always be work to do. We can let the job of hero go. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't try our best to bring about justice or to realize God's promises on earth. It doesn't mean that we won't try to shut the mouths of lions or put out raging dumpster fires. We may find ourselves finding strength in weakness, but it is not ours to do alone. We are not alone and the work will not end with us. First, we remember this, and secondly, we're invited to throw off any extra baggage that we're carrying, to get rid of the sin that trips us up. It's easier said than done, I know, but sin here is not a list of acts or deeds that make us worthy of blame. This sin that we're casting off is sin in the singular. Sin as a basic orientation of self-centeredness. This is sin that le leads to presumption, arrogance, pride, and the will to dominate. 
we have to let those tendencies go. And when we let this baggage go, when we get rid of this sin that turns us inward, we are able to focus outward, to focus forward. Faith is forward-facing. Faith allows us to see beyond what is right in front of us and to see what God is doing in our midst. And let's not forget about Jesus. If faith is forward-facing, the hope and example of Jesus is our focal point. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is faith's pioneer and perfecter. He did the hard work. He knows what it is like to endure suffering and shame and sadness. He knows us. He didn't shy away from the hardest parts of being human, but he did know that there was joy at the end of the road. The joy of God's promise that there is something better. The joy of knowing that love wins, even when we can't see it. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it moves us forward to run the race that is set before us. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it helps us see joy despite our struggles. When we're struggling, when we're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or sad, faith reminds us that we are not alone. The people of the past inspire us. The communion of saints, the great cloud of witnesses surrounds us and gives us endurance. The example of Jesus is ever before us. And best of all, God's future of joy is ahead of us. Sometimes that joy is within reach. Sometimes it's not. But even when it isn't tangible here and now, God still promises joy in the end. At the end of our two-part episode of Designing Women, Charlene has been taken away to labor and delivery, and the rest of her friends are introduced to another hospital patient, Miss Minnie. Miss Minnie is 102 years old and has congenital heart failure. She asks to be moved up to the maternity ward to be close to the babies. She's recalling her life and the life of her children with the cast of characters. She remembers her daughter, who opened a black library in the 1950s, a son who died in war, and a nephew who worked for Martin Luther King Jr. She recalls hearing Theodore Roosevelt and Booker T. Washington speak. Someone says to her, you are the 21st century. And in return, she says this, I'm just a thread in the tapestry, but I had a good time. I thought that as I got older, the bold outlines of truth would be revealed to me, but it hasn't happened. When I was young, I was in such a hurry, but now I've been here 100 years, and it seems like only yesterday I was holding my babies in my arms. I'm glad to be going home. It's been a long time since I've seen my family. 
I wish for all of you all the love and happiness I had in my life. And I hope the world keeps going toward freedom. I hope that people everywhere can learn to live together in peace. Like my father used to say, we aren't what we should be. We aren't what we're going to be. But at least we aren't what we were. With hope and joy, may we keep going forward toward freedom, and may we live in peace. Amen.